Welcome to the Uncover Pod, the podcast where we delve into the world of legal risk and compliance. I'm your host, Daniel Chatfield, and each week we will be speaking with industry-leading experts, thought leaders, and successful professionals who have made their mark on the industry. We'll explore the latest trends, share best practices, and offer insights and advice that will help you navigate your career path with confidence and clarity. Uncover is a specialist legal risk and compliance recruiter, and whether you're a seasoned professional or just starting out in your career, the Uncover Pod is the podcast for you. So sit back, relax, and let's uncover your potential together. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday, and welcome to the Uncover Podcast. And today we are joined by another fantastic guest. He is the Director of Business Acceptance for Evershed Sutherland. Please join me as we welcome to the show. Simon Hammond. Simon, good morning and hello. Good morning, Dan. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Brilliant. Simon, would you like to start by giving a, a short introduction around your yourself, your current situation and, and, and your role currently? Sure. Uh, so I'm the Director of Business Acceptance at Evershed Sutherland. Um, I've been with the firm since 2006, although I've had a, a number of different roles before I moved into my current one. Um, number of different facets to my role. Um, I'm responsible for business acceptance within Evershed Sutherland International, so that covers client onboarding, matter onboarding and uh, conflicts. Um, I lead the firm's operational business acceptance team, um, which is primarily based in Leeds. Uh, I'm the senior escalation point for conflicts, both legal and commercial, um, working closely with the firm's sex group leaders and the firm's executive partner. Uh, I also sit and uh, take the lead on the firm's new clients acceptance committee, which looks at uh, new clients coming into the firm, which uh, uh, forward in certain categories. Uh, and I also lead on the firm's AML program as the global uh, MLRO, uh, working closely with the firm's managing partner, uh, who's also the money laundering compliance officer. Uh, and also work with a network of local MLROs in the uh, various overseas jurisdictions in which we have offices. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Certainly seems like you, you must be a, a busy man with uh, a number of hats. Many hats. Many hats indeed. All righty. Well, driving into our first couple of questions, I think you, you've obviously been in the game for a fair amount of time. I think you, you've probably seen certain changes occur over the years. Uh, 2023 in, in itself is an interesting year, but it'd be great to get your take on the market what what do you see sort of the main trends and also what what you see as as being in store for the for the months ahead well yes um the market um it's it's it continues to evolve um i think in line with the risk and, and compliance market more generally um it's grown rapidly over the last 10 years particularly the last five years or so um and i suspect that trend will, will only continue um the regulatory burden on firms uh, continues to, to increase. Um, I think it's, we're just going to see more rather than less um, as the years go by. Firms continue to get bigger and become more, become more complex in their structures. Um, and client requirements that we see uh, often in the form of uh, outside council guidelines, they contain continue to contain uh, very onerous obligations on firms, which are very difficult for firms to manage. Um, so that will keep us busy. And also I think the, the most in interesting developments in the last year or so has been around the ESG agenda, um, which is going to keep firms very busy because it's really difficult issues that they're having to grapple with. 
Uh, but certainly from a business acceptance perspective, you know, that's I've seen a, a change in in, in uh, can we do the work from a, a legal and regulatory perspective to actually should we be doing the work, which is quite a big um, shift in mindset. So I, I think this is only going to, to grow and grow. Um, I think the, the invasion of uh, uh, Ukraine by Russia last year has brought this whole debate uh, forward by probably five years or so. Um, so it's going to be challenging, um, but it's what will continue to make this a really interesting space to work in. Fantastic. And I suppose the, the point around the, the SG stuff that you mentioned, because I think a couple of people have sort of spoken about that becoming more prevalent in terms of in terms of how firms adapt to that and i suppose in terms of where the requirements or sort of more the, the standards that firms are looking to adhere to are those generally standards that you see sort of firms um i suppose it is, it is more a case of that clients are dictating that this is what we want you to adhere to is it was it more so coming from the firm's perspective saying this is who we are this is what we we want to be and be all about I think it's a combination of factors. Um, certainly clients are asking questions um, about who we're acting for. They want to know um, who they're sitting next to, um, so to speak, um, amongst the client base of the firm. Um, insurers are asking questions. Um, and also, crucially, um, people within the firm. Mm -hmm. People are asking who are we acting for, what, what sectors are we operating in, and it's, um, it's just shone a spotlight on, on the whole thing, really. But there's a, a whole host of, of different reasons why it's all coming to, to a head now. Interesting. And I think in terms of how firms grapple with this, um, and I think because we, we caught up early on in the week, and I know we sort of spoke about the tension between whether or not firms, it's very different from a firm saying, this is what, this is what we're here to, this is what we're all about versus a firm who's maybe been working in practice areas that um, all of a sudden that how, how do they navigate um, how, how do they navigate the situation of if they've got established a practice area that's maybe not ethically aligned with what they want to be identified with how do you see that unfolding or or, or is there sort of a, a silver bullet to to sort of work that out that's a very good question i wish there was a silver bullet um, these are really difficult issues and they will take quite some time to, to work through. Um, you know, as, as you say, if, if a firm's got an established practice in an area, you know, it's going to be very difficult for them if they so wish to, to uh, extricate themselves from that sector. So um, these things aren't going to happen overnight. It will take uh, quite some time, um, but it's going to be for each firm to try and manage that as best they can, depending upon the challenges they face in those specific areas which which they operate mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah i mean i think it, it, it's certainly going to be interesting because it, it, it does seem to be on the agenda of a lot of firms and a lot of people we're speaking with um it's obviously a great thing that it is on the agenda but yeah certainly certainly not straightforward um and i think yeah sort of sort of weighing up that the the, the commercial gain versus the ethical obligation um, is going to be a certainly a very interesting thing to see how it unfolds. And I suppose moving on to kind of candidates specifically in the space, and for, for junior candidates in the space, Simon, what 
behaviors do you think are the key things that they need to demonstrate in order to to progress their careers and 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 really separate themselves in in what's becoming quite a competitive space? Well, I think I try and get as much experience in different areas if you can. Um, I appreciate that often when when you join a risk and compliance team, um, you may start in a in a specific role, whether it's conflict analyst or client opening analyst, and um, you're going to be focused on one specific area, but um, try and broaden your experience if the opportunities arise and um, you know, push to, to have those opportunities, keep that communication open with your line manager about expanding into different areas. Uh, because having greater experience in those different areas will really help you get a more rounded uh, understanding of the, the, the overall risk and compliance uh, space. Uh, generally having an inquisitive mind you know, ask questions as to why things are done in the way that they are. Um, so that would also stand you in good stead. Um, share thoughts and feedback with your line manager. Um, I think it's really important that those, particularly those juniors who are at the coal face um, of, of business acceptance, you're seeing where things are, uh, are going well. You're also seeing things where things aren't going so well and improvements can be made. So do make sure you, you share that with your line manager. Obviously, do it in a constructive way. Um, it's all about how you deliver it. But um, even if you raise something and it doesn't actually get implemented, I think the fact that you have taken the time to, to, to think about it, you've spotted an issue, you've then uh, gone to raise it with your line manager, that will impress them that you've thought about how to make things better. And ultimately it shows that you care, which is, is, is great. Um, I think probably another really important thing is that sometimes we, we overlook the most, you know, the, the basics, the fundamentals, um, and getting those right can, and it might, might sound really basic this, but getting those right can actually set you apart from the crowd. You know, just things like enthusiasm, you know, positive can-do attitude, Put, first to put your hand up when it's uh, the team's going through a really busy period um, and just generally showing that you care they're all really important and uh, will take you a long way you know things like attention to detail all, always important checking your work and not not relying on supervisors as your sort of safety nets to before work goes out uh, to the business there's so many tools out there now that can help you with this you've got basics like spell check or the, the read aloud function, which is my personal favorite, we've got an important email to send. You know, take the time to, to check it uh, before you send it out because it, it it's all about taking pride in your, your own work and um, it reflects on you. Think about your own personal brand. You know, often I see that um, someone can do a really fantastic piece of work, but then when they go to send that out to a partner, they've made an, an error in, in the covering email, which will then just undermine that, 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 that piece of work, great piece of work that they've done. So important to take the time to check things. And then probably this, this is a, a new one, which has developed um, as a result of, of COVID is FaceTime with colleagues. Um, we're all uh, adapting to the new hybrid model of working. Um, and I'm sure most firms, certainly we, we are, um, we don't go into the office. Uh, every day, you know, we're two, three days a week. Um, and so now we're not seeing each other five days a week. We've also all got to think how we're going to make the most of that time. Um, building relationships is absolutely key to progressing your career. So it's really, really 
Uh, and it's really hard to do that if you're not having FaceTime with colleagues. So if you're not coming into the office, um, if when we're on Zoom or Teams calls, if you're not putting your camera on, you know, really difficult to build those relationships in the way that you, you actually can do in person. So think about that and think about who those people are that you need to build those relationships with to further your career. You know, take the time to think it through. Think of a plan about how are you going to build those relationships with those people. Little things like uh, work out what days they go into the office. Yeah, I'm sure we, like most firms, will, will have a team day. So aside from the team day, see what other days that person goes in. And you go in on the same day as them. On team days, obviously, it's a team day. Everyone's in, so it's really busy. So you're probably not going to get that many opportunities to speak with that person. But if you go in on a day that, that they do, um, there's probably only going to be a fraction of people in. So um, you've got a much better chance of having some, some quality time with them. Um, and also, most, most teams are hot desking now. We don't have set spaces in the way that we used to. So um, take the plunge and go and sit next to them. Um, I think sometimes there's a real reluctance to do that. Um, I can understand why, but I can honestly say that if you, you know, take the plunge, go and sit next to them, have a conversation with them, they'll, they'll be pleasantly surprised that you've taken the initiative to do that. And I think all of this goes back to key points is taking responsibility for your own career. And yes, the firm um, and your line manager, they have a responsibility to develop you. Um, but ultimately, it's, it's your career, it's your life. Um, so, so don't be reliant on, on other people. Take, take the initiative and, and take control of that for yourself. Fantastic, Simon. I think, yeah, I mean, all those points, I think, they, they they make complete sense. I think almost are uh, in their simplicity, sort of hit the nail on the head. Because um, I think a lot of leaders that we speak to, um, whether those managers, whether those directors, be it on the BAU side or be it on the general risk side, um, there's, there's kind of been a, a common thread emerging that a lot of people are feeling as though um, a lot of candidates in the space, there's just not quite the level of engagement that they would often hope for. And I think that's probably a symptom of the fact that it is very, very busy. There's a lot of opportunity. People can look at different avenues. Um, but I think that those points that you said about sort of the relationships, the engagement, the attention to detail, pride, personal brand, um, I think those things really, really go a long way because from a, from a recruiter's perspective, I think what we have seen is that when people tend to move around fairly quickly, and don't get me wrong, there is obviously the time and a place for that. Um, but when people tend to jump quickly, 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 purely for the salary gain, but not necessarily the experience, then very quickly we find that that uplift is short-lived. Whereas people who have been in a role, they've engaged, they've engaged with the work, engaged with the team, built the relationships, they might not see the immediate salary uplift in the short term, but certainly further down the track, they catch up very quickly. And, and often surpass, surpass the people that might have got ahead um, in the short term. But those are all, yeah, I mean, those are all very, very good points. And I think for a lot of people listening to this, I think sort of breaking them down and just sort of giving those reminders will be very helpful. Um, so perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Um, I'd certainly agree, agree with, with that, that about the, sometimes we can see a degree of, sort of short-termism. Um, and, you know, don't get me wrong, it's always attractive when you get approached by a different role and you know, salary uplift, et cetera, you know, everybody's human. Um, but sometimes I, I would stress to candidates to 
take stock, think about what, what, what position are you in in your current role? How does that sit within the structure of the team? What are the relationships that you've, you've built there? And what does the bigger picture look like? Um, it's dead easy to make that jump to move for a little bit more money, which is great in the short term, but think about the bigger picture. Where, where do you want and hope to be in three years' time, five years' time, 10 years' time? And where do you think you'll be best placed to actually achieve that? And that might be actually where you are currently rather than making that move. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And and Simon, I suppose moving on sort of away from candidates and sort of more to management. So I suppose with, with teams growing, with teams developing, there's, there's not a one size fits all, but we do see common trends that emerge um, where we see firm, well, teams who are relatively stable can keep their talent, avoid attrition, um, whereas other firms are constantly sort of on a conveyor belt of trying to attract people as quickly as they lose them. I mean, in, in terms of in terms of your approach to management, what, in your opinion, are the key things that business acceptance teams need to get right in, or, in order to really drive performance within the team? Well, I think we all say different things from different managers that we've worked from um, in the past. And uh, I think we're inevitably drawn to what's worked well for us. Um, and certainly for me, I found that um, being given responsibility um, and being empowered just to get on with the job went, went a, a real long way. Um, I think when you feel that a manager trusts you, um, gives you that responsibility, um, it really makes you kick on. So that's what I try and do is just to trust people um, to get on with the job, uh, whilst also making sure that they know that there's, there's lots of support behind them uh, as and when that they need it. Um, I think as a manager, it's your responsibility to, to develop those that work for you. And um, certainly from my perspective, as, as our team has grown rapidly over the last five years, I think you know, when, we, when I first started in this area in 2017, I think we had 11 or 12 people and we're now up to about 55. So just you know, exponential growth. Um, and that's created loads of development opportunities um, within the team. Um, and that's been great to see that um, we've had some people who were with us in the very early days um, and also new starters who've come in, graduates with zero experience. And you know, over the last five years, they've worked really hard and people have progressed through those different roles and within the structure of the team and we've created new roles. We're constantly looking at structure, which is always evolving to give people development opportunities. Um, but it's great to see people progress through those different uh, layers within the team. Um, and it's, it's, it's rewarding for, for me personally and, and also the other managers in the team. So that's, that's been uh, really good and also always want to make sure that there is opportunity for people to develop. Going, we, we, we seldom go external, certainly within, within Evershed Sutherland, uh, because we always want to make sure we're giving people the opportunity to, to develop, progress. Um, you know, that's, that said, we do have people who um, do move on to external roles uh, because they get approached and it's an opportunity that's, that's too good to turn down. I completely understand that. And um, again, that, that's not necessarily a negative. It's you go back to this, this key point around it's, it's, it's our responsibility to develop people so that when they, they leave us, they're in a much better place than when they joined us. And uh, as a consequence of doing that, they've been approached about a, a role uh, elsewhere, and it's a great opportunity for them and their family, then 
And then, of course, we support them along the way with that and uh, thank them for all the hard work and shake their hand and wish them all the very best of the future because that is also success in a, in a different way because mm-hmm. we've developed them to get that opportunity to move on for the future. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think I really like your point there about the the trust and empowerment piece um, sort of coupled with support. I think a lot of people talk about trust and empowerment, but I think often what can happen is if you give sort of all the trust, but not necessarily give the empowerment and support, then it can create a bit of a tricky situation because people just feel like people do to a certain extent like that guidance and knowing that that they do have leeway, but they form part of a bigger structure that's there to help them and support them grow. Yeah, it's a balance, isn't it? Because different people will want and need uh, more support and guidance than others. So uh, insofar as we can, I, I'd like to, to give people the uh, as much freedom um, uh, as, as they, they, they is, is appropriate and, and support them as, as, as and when they need it. You know, some people need more, some people need less. But uh, wherever the, that line is, um, we just got to try and make sure that we, we give them that support that they need. Yeah, fantastic. Brilliant, Simon. Well, I think those, those three points have been really helpful. I think getting your oversights on, on sort of the, the state of the market currently, what, what candidates can be doing day in, day out to really progress their career and also approach to management. I think all, all these little insights really sort of paint a really, really good picture. And I think to, certainly judging from afar and sort of seeing, the, seeing your team and sort of how it's grown and how it progresses, um, it certainly seems like you're doing a, a lot of things right over there. So well, well done to you. <laughs> thank you um, but yeah i mean i think that that that's that that's just sums up the show for the day and um, simon's been an absolute pleasure having you on here those insights um have been have, have been great i'm sure a lot of people will be really interested to to listen um so yeah have a fantastic weekend enjoy the friday and i'm sure we'll catch up very soon thanks Dad. and you all righty take care